in Christ's love, dear fellow redeemed. Grace and peace and confidence and strength is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not of ourselves, but it comes from God, and it gives us what we need. Amen. So, have you been scrolling through your phone or watching the news more than you had before? I would guess so. I know that I have. Last night when I was watching the 10 o'clock news, I, I laughed under my breath because uh, uh, the anchor woman said, we at our station give facts, not fear. And then she said, the next line was, we're going to tell you about all the new cases of coronavirus spreading in Austin. And I kind of laughed like, well, that fact actually gives me more fear. Uh, it's it's in, the, in the body of Christ, though, when you come here to worship, that we're going to give you what builds up your faith and the, the, it not just give you facts. The fact is that this one particular thing that's going on in the world and in America is giving all of us a lot of pause and fear. And the fear comes really in two ways that I've noticed. One is, am I going to get it or someone that I love going to get this sickness? And are we going to make it through it and still get to, are we going to survive? The other fear is, what will this do to my personal economic situation as, as an American, as a member of this world? We've already had people that are friends of ours that are furloughed from their jobs without pay. Others feel like that their company might use this in order to lay them off permanently. We've seen the stock market lose its single most uh, largest loss in one day in this last seven days, the stock market in the United States. We've also uh, had the, the largest correction since the Great Depression. Uh, we have all kinds of things that make us afraid, and they are all newsworthy, and so our, uh, the media continues to feed us things to make us worry, and we do worry. Being concerned is not the problem. We, concern is real. It's, it's being a real person in a real world, knowing that we're all in a real struggle. It's having faithless concern that's the problem. And God has given us many stories in the scriptures on how he walked with people and led them as their God, their creator, and their redeemer, and their sanctifier through times when they were very scared or concerned. And when you look in the stories, the, uh, the Bible is nakedly honest. And so when you look in the stories, you see yourself in the people that God is, is walking with because they are just like us and they struggle with having the right faith or the right attitude about what they're going through. Uh, this is especially seen in the life of the Israelites in the Old Testament. The story that we're going to look at is in Exodus 17. So you're going to want to get that ready. We'll have it handy on the, on the slides, though, as I talk through it, preach it to you. But in Exodus 17, the children of Israel, around 2 million people have just come through several harrowing experiences. As a nation, for 400 plus years, they've been slaves. And the last generation just went through the 10 plagues where God brought these on Egypt to bring Pharaoh to his knees. The last plague was the death of the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, whether you were a, a, an Egyptian or an Israelite, with this exception, 
If you're an Israelite that believed God's promise that the blood of a lamb would make the angel of death pass over and you smeared that on the doorpost in the top of the lintel above your door of your house, the angel of death would pass over. And they went through that where they, the angel of death did not strike down the firstborn of all the Israelite families and the Egyptians and Pharaoh finally said, go, 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 get out of our country. It says in the Bible as they were leaving, they were watching the Egyptians bury their own firstborn as they left with all of the loot that the Egyptians had given them and they were headed out to strike out on their own with God. When they got to the Red Sea, I'm going to, I'm going to quickly walk through this. The Egyptians had repented and wanted to go get them back or kill them out in the desert. And they got backed up to the Red Sea, two million people, and God parted the Red Sea, a huge miracle. They went across they were safe, and then the Red Sea collapsed under God's hand and f- killed the Egyptian army. They saw that. They experienced that. Then they got into the wilderness, and they were hungry, and they had two million people and all their livestock. And God said, just in the chapter before our story, starting tonight, I will bring down a kind of bread, and the people called it what's it or manna. And he said, I'll also send quail into your camp, uh, little flocks of quail. And he fed them manna and quail. And that manna would last for 40 years. So they're now going out every morning and getting a miraculous food. And they are traveling through desert regions, trying to get south down to the Mount Sinai. Two million people. It's very difficult for them. Imagine camping out and, and, and that many people trying to take care of their basic needs. And they, dis- they, they discover that they're, they can't find any water anywhere. And they're very scared. And they're in a tight spot. And when you get in a tight spot, kind of like what we're feeling everywhere we look, we're kind of in a tight spot right now in the world and in America. When you get that way, the, what's inside your heart comes out. Some good, some bad. And that's not a bad thing that it comes out, but it needs to be dealt with if it's bad. And what came out of the Israelites' hearts was bad, and what often comes out of our hearts is bad, and part of this is faithless worrying. And when you hear all of the news like you do today, these are secular news stations. They're not trying to build up your faith at all. They're trying to give you a story and to uncover the next case and show you the uniqueness about the case, they explore and explore and they tell and they tell, but no one in the news that you page through is going to be telling you what God tells you. So when God tells the story, he's the main character for your benefit. And this story is going to help us. But they complain, the worst comes out. And they complained to Moses. So I'm going to read it to you and part of the story, and we're going to get into it. It's in Exodus chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. When he says the whole community, he's saying all two million of them. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. You can't survive more than three to four days without water. So the people quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Kind of sounds like 
citizens of the United States saying to the government, fix the COVID virus thing. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. They were desperate and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why do you bring us, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They are to the edge of their emotional sanity. They're saying, we're about to die, and you're the cause. If we'd have stayed slaves, at least we would have been alive. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, By the way, watch closely, because this has to do with how God wants us to learn to trust him. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. This is that staff that Moses was supposed to take with him. And he, and he, he used this staff for all the different plagues and miracles in Egypt. And God said, take that staff in your hand and I want you to the people to see it. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. God's saying, Moses, this isn't about you. You don't have to do anything here. I'll be with you. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Everybody knows you don't just get water from a rock. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? When he struck that rock, water came gushing out and the people, all of them had plenty to drink. And God said, I want you to go ahead with this staff, which is the symbol of my presence. And I want the people to see that I am giving them water. Now, you might at first think that at this particular moment, what God's word would be for the people is, weren't the 10 plagues and me bringing them on and getting you out of Egypt enough? Wasn't the Passover enough? Isn't the morning manna enough? Isn't the quail enough that you would learn to trust me? But instead, he gives them grace in the face of their sin. He does later discipline them, and they continue to grumble. Some of them died while he still relieved their suffering. He did not reject the whole nation. But here, what he's, what he's showing them is, I mercifully love you as a loving father. I did not bring you out here to not give you water, but I did lead you to a situation where you couldn't find water anywhere on your own, so you would turn your head to me and pray to me. Moses, though, is their shepherd of their heart. And so he names the place, instead of the place of beautiful waters, he names it the place of testing and quarreling because he wants them to learn that the way in which they approached God was faithless worrying instead of faithful prayer. Do you see the lesson in this? Sure. It's okay to be concerned, but you turned your concern into a prayer request saying, God, you're there. We know you're with us. You have shown us in the past. We have the symbol of your presence now. And we have your word that you are our God. And so we ask you to take care of the water situation that we have. 
Waiting for water, like I said before, you can only wait three or four days. But it's still a wait. And when you're thirsty, it feels like three or four years. In all of our situation with this COVID-19 virus that we have, or our own personal financial struggles that are coming out of this or some other issue that we're struggling with, all of our issues often take months or years for us to see the deliverance of the Lord. We learn to wait on God without faithless worrying by trusting that our prayers are heard because we look at stories like this and God's watching all the while. He knows what he's doing. One of my friends, your friends, said just this last week, God has his ways of turning our stubborn, stubborn heads toward him and his way. And that's what he does when he puts us in a tight spot like this. He's looking for faithful prayer. And he promises to deliver and he teaches us to wait. And the waiting is actually training us to be close to God and near to him because he's the God who wants to be the one we're looking at instead of government or leaders in the community as our first strength and we start quarreling with them about how it's going or not going or the person that's in charge of the items on that aisle of the grocery store there shouldn't be quarreling there shouldn't be God's people running up and down the aisles of grocery stores arguing and pushing and whatever because we're not faithful we're not faithless in our concern we're faithful and we know that God tells us to wait in Isaiah 40, Isaiah said, wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. He'll give you the strength of a youth. Part of the spiritual growth that comes out of a situation like we're in is learning the, the spiritual virtue of just waiting. And that's, that's even what we're doing as a church as we now go to online services and we wait for the day that we can all gather again. We're waiting on the Lord for everything, including your next economic situation through a job or your next investment, whatever it is, as a first world person, God is calling you to wait on him in faithful prayer, not faithless worry. And he promises to be there. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. He didn't suddenly leave when this next virus cropped its ugly head in China. Jesus is still with us, and, and we don't have to worry. We just learn to pray and wait. Now, they got water, and uh, they probably were elated and relaxed, but only briefly, because even though they thought all of our troubles are over, they weren't. This is, this is really kind of incredible, but it may be reminiscent of some days that you've had in your life. The next line after... Moses giving the water to the people is in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. <laughs> they came to this place and had no water, and God gave them water miraculously. And then God lets the enemies come from a, a race of people called the Amalekites. Moses says to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I'm just going to pause there for a moment and say, have you had days like this where you just had 
this one problem that you were focusing on, sometimes you just got it resolved. Your prayer was just answered. And you think, finally, I've arrived at the time in my life where I'm going to have peace. And another problem races in. You might be dealing with medical problems and it's your car dies. It might be that you're dealing with a car problem that you're getting fixed and then a bigger fail happens with your car. It's any number. It can be five different things. It can be one medical issue you're trying to address, but it affects the other part of your body. So the doctor says, well, we got to discontinue the medicine that's saving your life over here because it's affecting you over here. And you think, Where are you, God? And if you're there, why are you so angry with me that you'd let me go through all this? In this case, with nationally and socially with the COVID virus, it's not just an illness that could kill you or someone you love, but it's the economics and all of the other discomforts that go along with it. You can also like think of people having their babies during this or people with other life-threatening illnesses and and the hospitals would be full. We have all kinds of issues like them having the Amalekites come after them. And Moses, who just had God tell him, take the staff and move on ahead of the people so they see the symbol of my presence. Moses doesn't even have to talk to God about it this time. He says to Joshua, you go and take some men and go fight and I'll have the staff with me and I'm going to go up on that hill. And he holds up the staff and watch what happens. So Joshua fought, the, I'm verse 10. Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. So there's Moses and two men, Aaron, his brother, and Hur, a prominent leader in Israel. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, because he was tired, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, her and Aaron, and they put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady. They remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Isn't that an amazing story? I mean, what kind of military strategy is that? It's not. It's a faith strategy. This is the presence of our God. We have enemies. We're in a real world. We've got to deal with it. We've got to do what we can about the COVID virus. But the presence of God is our strength. If you were one of those infantrymen down there with spear and sword, what do you think you kept your eye on the most when you realized when the hands went down, we would be losing when the hands went up and the staff went up, we'd be winning. You'd be watching Moses, right? A little bit. You'd be watching to make sure And you'd be glad that what Aaron and Hur did because it was the symbol of God's presence. You know, sometimes God looks like he's playing around with us, but he never does that. What he's doing is he's drawing us to realize deep, saving, spiritual truth. That it's by grace through faith that you are saved. And if it's in a battle, it's by God's grace through faith in him that you get saved in a battle. If it's with an illness, it's by grace, through faith in him that you get saved. Just like with our salvation in Christ, it's by grace, through faith in Christ, that you are saved. The presence of God. No room for faithless worrying. It's always 
a time for faithful dependence on God in prayer and trust. This chapter that we're in in Exodus 17, which shows that it was by grace through faith in God that they were saved, is an Old Testament story. As a New Testament believer, we have so much more to look at. Romans 8 is a great chapter for anyone going through the COVID-19 virus. You need to make that one of your friends. In Romans chapter 8, in the second half of that chapter, this is what Paul says. He says, he's talking to suffering Christians. He said, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not along with him give us all things? And then he goes on to say, nothing in sword or death, if he was the apostle writing today, he'd say, or a virus can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Here's the thing. I've been mentioning that all these plagues and manna and these miracles were supposed to be what helped the people to remember that God was with them. In the New Testament, what God says, I want you to remember that I am with you, is that I put my son on the cross for you. Every single time you're starting to worry that you might be in your problem all by yourself and you end up like this atheist complaining as if God, you're mad at God, he wants, you to, he wants you to remember, but I put my son on the cross for you. And he promised he would always be with you. We can't see Jesus today any more than they could see God there in the wilderness. Even all the symbols he gave them, like the glory of the Lord came and went and came and went. And as soon as it left, they got doubtful again. We know we're going to get doubtful, but he's a gracious heavenly father who sent us these words to remind us, if I put my son on the cross for you, I will see you through this. Now, if you're like me, and I am a doubter like anybody else, you're thinking, sometimes you're thinking, but what about the people that actually will die from this? Was God really there for them? And so how are your words really true if people do actually die from this? When you tell us he's going to be with us like he promises. Well, there's a whole nother truth there that you and I want to remember. Our life on earth because of our own sin is temporary. There will be something that takes us out of this life and sends our soul to its eternal destiny. And God will be in charge of that. It could be heart disease. It could be a car wreck. It could be cancer or pneumonia or anything. It can be the COVID-19 virus. Some people will be sent to their eternal destiny through the COVID-19 virus. They're not going to talk about that in the news because it's all about this world and this life. And so the frantic, like scrambling to, the, the biggest issue is to keep yourself from dying. No, you're all going to die, whether it's the COVID virus or something else eventually. That's why Jesus came. That's why it's good news. It's good news that we're safe in Christ. And so some will be taken to their, their eternal destiny. Others will be taught that he brought them through this experience. They'll get it, but they'll survive it. And there'll be a lot of love and a lot of help and a lot of faith building, just like all of our struggles have been that for us. Some will learn how to pray like they've never prayed before. And God will be happy. 
And some things that are happening that he's doing through this are all secrets in the heart and mind of God. One of the biggest truths about God is that he hides his secrets. He didn't tell the people what was coming next. He just said, I'll be with you. And that's the way he wants it for us too. After the battle with the Amalekites, this is what Moses did. Remember how he had named the place Rephidim, where the rock was with the water, a place of quarreling and a place of testing God? Well, now he does something different after this battle. Verse 15, Moses built an altar and he called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, I did this because, that, because hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord and the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. He's saying what we learned in the battle of the Amalekites is that God is our strength, our banner, our flag, our, the symbol of his presence was there. The Lord is our savior. You know, the Amalekites were defeated in battle, but they weren't wiped out as a people. And they would make themselves enemies of Israel for a long time. And all those years, the Israelites could say, why didn't you just wipe them out, Lord? But one day later, God had made a promise that someday I will wipe these enemies off the face of the earth who came against my people, keeping my promise I made to Abraham that whoever curses you, I will curse. But he waited and he did it through grace for the Amalekites many decades later. We don't know how God's going to work out in a hundred years from now some spiritual work in the life of people through what happened in 2020 with the COVID virus. But we can trust the God who guided history that we see in his word to guide our history too. In the meantime, what he has done is he's given us this book to study and meditate on. And so, as I said on Wednesday night, I'll say it again today. Turn off the TV. Don't just do mindless binge watching of what other people have spun stories in their mind for you to entertain you. And get close to God's word. Listen to it on a Bible app or read it yourself. And I can give you three great places to read. The book of Exodus, as it tells the story of how God walked with his people. You'll learn a whole lot more than you did in this sermon. The book of Acts, where you see him doing the same thing with New Testament Christians as they're dispersed. We're being dispersed. They were too. And then Romans chapter 8 that I just told you about. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit. It is your comfort and your strength, and it will prevent you from faithless worrying, and you'll have faith instead of fear. Amen.